Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything that goes into creating a culture that focuses everybody on, on uh, customer perceived value. Today, I am thrilled to have Bob Pizzini, who is a nationally recognized speaker, uh, leadership coach, author, uh, you name it. He, and he <laughs> comes to us uh, with uh, a pedigree from the U.S. Navy, where he was EOD, which is uh, Explosive Ordnance Disposal? That's correct, yes. Um, so, Bob, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's awesome to uh, finally, finally be on your show. Oh, that's great. No, I'm really thrilled to have you. So tell us a little bit about your journey because it is so fascinating. Sure. So, uh, you know, as a young man, I started uh, scuba diving. I, I grew up watching the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau and uh, I was fascinated by, by the, uh, the undersea world. And uh, when I was 18, I enlisted in the Navy, became a Navy diver. That led to Navy Special Operations and Explosive Ordnance Disposal, and I retired 26 years later. And uh, that was 10 years ago. I'm now 10 years in the private sector. Um, my, my, my job in the military, part of what we did was military freefall. That led to this indoor skydiving simulator training, and that's the business that I own today in Virginia Beach, uh, you know, in addition to my speaking and consulting and coaching. Yeah, I can't wait to get out there. So... You know, I guess my my first wisecrack was, man, you don't look old enough to remember Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> <laughs> I do, and I remember him, but uh, you're not that old. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Appar uh, apparently, you are. So, yeah. um, but kind of, I, I have heard you speak and and, and so forth. Uh, what I was struck by, and I'm always struck with, you know, the explosive ordnance in a disposal. What a specialty to have. You live, your entire existence is for the other guy and definitely not about your own uh, personal well-being and safety. Yeah. I mean, you, you do it as safely as possible, but the whole yeah. thing is the safety of everybody else, not you. For sure. Uh, you know, everything is a team effort. Uh, we, we go down as low as two-man teams, but um, whether it's cut the red wire, cut the blue wire, exit the aircraft from 25,000 feet, or diving, you know, at three at on the ocean floor at 300 feet uh, to again to cut the red wire or the blue wire. It's uh, it's a team effort overall. And you know what I learned throughout my military career is the importance of a team. How how you form a team, how you train a team. Uh, in the military, we call it man train equip. We have individual training, unit level training, and combined level training. And I, I've just taken all of that and applied it to my business practice and my, my coaching practice. And it, it resonates very well. It's, it's a tried and true process. Yeah. So on training, I'd love to get your, your uh, feedback on this. In my world, in the sales training world, uh, it became very clear very early on for me that there are two flavors of training. One is knowledge transfer. When the bomb looks like this, this is the, it's the blue wire. Right. That's right. And that's right. That's, that's simple knowledge transfer. Knowledge transfer is much easier than the other kind of training, which most sales training is. And that is behavior modification, where the training is, this is how I want you to act in this situation. And this is what my what the expectations are going to be. But after that training event, now there's a uh, practice and coaching and more practice and more coaching and verification and, and dry runs. And so the, that training 
looks and feels and smells a whole lot different than knowledge transfer training. And so uh, I, that's, you know, that's Mark Boundy's opinion, Mark Boundy's impression, and I've written a blog post or two about it. But tell me what you think of, of that bifurcation or that distinction. Sure. So, uh, you know, there's theory, there's, there's the classroom theory, the knowledge, and then there's the practical application. And a, a, a very capable person has a high degree of both. So uh, I read in a book once that uh, education without experience is philosophy. And experience without education is ignorance. And, and I have to completely agree with that. It takes the perfect blend of both um, it, it, I, I say I have three things, experience, education, and training. It takes the, the perfect blend of all three of those to really master your craft. And, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, practice over and over again. In the military, we call that rehearsals. And the repetition of those rehearsals, and, and, and every time you rehearse, every time you practice, you learn something new and you modify something just a little bit differently. And that's, there's great value in that. The other thing is, and I'm sure I know this is true in sales, these are perishable skill sets. If we don't practice them and rehearse them regularly, we become less proficient at it uh, to the point to where we can even forget how to, do, how to do some of these things. And when I talk about leadership and when I train leadership, I train repetition uh, as, a very, as, a key, as a key component of being an effective and energetic leader. Think about the athlete practice, game, competition, tournament, championship. Think about the musician, um, practice, concert, practice, performance. And th those skills that they hone will perish quickly if they don't, if they don't uh, continually practice. And, and, and leadership and, and sales uh, practices are really no different. Yeah, you know, uh, we talk about muscle memory with musicianship and, and athletics, but... Um in sales and in leadership, the, the muscle memory really is a neurological memory. It doesn't actually exist in the muscles. Yeah, very true. And, and when I talk about the art and science of leadership, for me, the science of leadership uh, has a lot to do with the brain. So I have six components uh, that make up the science of leadership, again, for me and what, have I, and what I've experienced throughout my career. Those six components are rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning. And when you, when you, when you really get into brain and heart health, um, there's a lot more that you can control uh, to, to your benefit and to benefit those around you. And uh, it's pretty exciting. So those six are really important. And I, I want to slow down and maybe uh, take a little time with each of them. Uh, sure. Rest. Uh, sure. And in one of the old Robert Ludlum spy novels, he makes the point that rest is a weapon. Tell, you know, tell us your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so quite simply, the average adult should get between seven and nine hours of rest per evening. Now, there's some anomalies out there. People say, oh, four hours is all I need. But for, for me and for you and for most of the population, we need seven to nine hours. And when you're sleeping, your brain and heart never stop communicating with each other. And so as you rest, you are literally recharging your brain, just like you're recharging a battery. And that brain and heart communication that happens when you sleep is necessary for, for proper functioning of brain and heart health. Um, a lot of people uh, will deprive themselves of sleep and they kind of wear it as a badge of honor. And um, your performance as a leader 
will be reduced if you deprive yourself of sleep. And while you might not notice it, others will notice it. And you don't want to be the person where, uh, you know, in the work in the workplace, uh, they say, stay away from Bob today. I, I see the storm clouds over his head. Obviously, he didn't get much sleep last night. It- you know, it's really important. And that is, number one, remembering that as a leader, your job is to be the force multiplier. That's to, right. It, you can't be the bottleneck. And your yeah. job is to not do any of it to make sure everybody's doing all of it. Yeah, Matt, model it. Basically, you want to model all, any behavior you model, your team is going to uh, adapt to. They're going to pick up on, yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully in a positive way. The other thing that's very important from a leadership perspective when we talk about rest is there are times when those who you lead will not be well rested. Yep. And you have to recognize that. You have to be empathetic. You know, you have to... Uh, you can't just say, hey, not my problem, because it, it will become your problem. So, yeah. so number one, make sure you are getting adequate rest. And number two, um, keep, you know, keep an eye on your team for that as well. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting them in the right order, but uh, hydration. Hydration. Right? Yeah. I, I live in Arizona, and I have almost bonked. Uh, from not hydrating well enough and because uh, I'm also a mountain biker and I can ah. I have experience of having uh, uh, gone out well stocked and and on a two-hour mountain bike ride uh, put away uh, five liters of water wow but not enough electrolytes and yeah so getting in some serious I had to I had to lick it luckily in Arizona the the sweat doesn't drip off of you it evaporates and the salt stays behind uh-huh. so I had I had a ready supply of salt by licking my arms <laughs> <laughs> and you're I, a survivalist and uh I no I I my 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 legs were cramped so hard that I could not step over uh, a two inch rock without I, I had to bend my flex my hips because I couldn't bend my legs. Yeah, um, yeah. cramping up. So um, when when you were talking to another group and I was listening to you talking about hydration, I was you know looking at my uh, my uh, twenty my twenty ounce glass here um, and thinking how many times do I fill that up? Oh, it is a lot. So I guess I'm okay there. But um, subconsciously, I, I bet you I learned that with through uh, some hard lessons, like just about. Yeah, well, you know, most people, sure, sure. And, and as you recall from my discussion, most people don't know how much fluid they should consume on a daily basis. And, and for those like me who do know and who track it, I have a, a fitness tracker. I still don't drink what the American Academy of Health Science recommends I should drink on a daily basis. I mean, some, di- some days I do. I try to hit it every day, but uh, often I don't. And, and the formula is quite simple. Your, half of your body weight in pounds is how many ounces of fluid you should drink per day. So I weigh 180 pounds. I should drink 90 ounces minimum of non-alcoholic fluid per day. Things like coffee and Gatorade, all that stuff counts. They say any, any non-alcoholic beverage. All right, um, so, so oh, come on, water for leadership, tell me, no, <laughs> right? So, so as we talk about all six of these things, rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning, picture a Venn with intersecting circles. All of these things impact each other. If I'm not well rested and not well hydrated and not well nourished, 
my brain and heart health is depleted. My ability to make decisions is reduced. My ability to kind of have this, you know, 360 degree comprehensive situational awareness is reduced. And, and just as something as simple as being dehydrated can cause me to miss something I shouldn't have missed, or it can cause me to uh, make a, a, a poor decision, or it could cause me to, um, you know, to delay something that I shouldn't delay. It can, it can just, it can interfere with your ability to be a good leader. Yeah. Um, and then nutrition, the next one, obviously, I think we all know, um, especially now we're, we're recording this, uh, middle of June. So we are still kind of in, uh, thinking through COVID and we're still kind of, um, wrestling with those pounds we rested in COVID lockdown. And, <laughs> and so um, I, I think everybody knows how important nutrition is, uh, but thinking about rest, water, and nutrition. Now, you learned your leadership in some really harsh, demanding, physically demanding environments. So it's easy to see where you had to live that, and now you're in civilian life and you're, you're sitting behind a desk when you aren't doing a skydiving program. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Is it, is it really that important? Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's critical. And again, most people just don't, they don't understand. Um, most people don't understand how all these things tie together and how, how all these things can really degrade your performance. Uh, what happens is your performance degrades over time. You become... You know, you're, you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not properly dehydrated, and you, you don't just necessarily notice it, hey, I'm dehydrated today, I'm making poor decisions. But these things are cumulative over time. I'm 54 years old uh, to, uh, to address your, your, the Jacques Cousteau thing. Okay. So, um, um, and I have noticed over the course of my career, periods of high energy and productivity and periods of low energy and productivity. And my career is high energy, high productivity. And uh, you know, about three or four years ago, things were starting to slow down. And I was like, what is going on here? And um, so I, I focused in on those six things specifically. And it has really changed things for me. You know, that late afternoon um, uh, trough that people have a tendency to go into. They went out and ate the burger for lunch, the burger and the fries. They get back to the office. Two o'clock, they can't even keep their eyes open. Um, that's called, uh, Daniel Pink calls that a trough. And, yeah. and, you know, we typically are high energy early in the day and then we hit this trough early afternoon. I don't hit a trough um, because I eat right, because I'm well hydrated and because I'm well rested. I'm energized throughout the entire day. And, and if I'm energized, I'm effective. Man, it's, um, so, you know, that, that with exercise, um, I'm going to skip over exercise, not because sure. it's less important, because it's really important, because I, I want to make sure that. Uh, we combine those first four in just managing the body yeah. is yeah. so critical to making you an effective person. And when you're in a leadership role, um, that effectiveness gets multiplied or when your ineffectiveness gets multiplied, if you're in, being ineffective. So as a leader, everything you do, good and bad, is multiplied. Yeah, for sure. And, and you want to be able to think as clearly as possible as often as possible. And, and if I do hit a trough for some reason, then, then hey, I'm gonna check out for the day, see you later team, um, as opposed to be, being counterproductive or getting in, in, teammate, in the teammate's way. Um, 
you know, it, it just it, the, what's relevant about exercise is raising your heart rate. Because when you raise your heart rate, you raise neuroplasticity of the brain. Neuroplasticity of the brain is the brain's ability to grow, change, adapt, and heal. It literally creates neural pathways. It, it literally sharpens your thinking. This, this was scientifically proven in the early 2000s. It was theory before that. But elevating your heart rate through uh, some form of exercise on a regular basis strengthens your brain. It strengthens your brain and heart health. And it literally allows you to think more clearly and see things more clearly. Yeah. Um, so you've kind of done a great introduction into that brain and heart health um, because they are connected and uh, inextricably. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, as I said, they're always communicating with each other. And the healthier the communication, that communication can be very taxing, by the way. Uh, if you go from a, a, a state of, of excitability to a state of calm, there's something called heart rate variability that takes your brain and your heart through that process. And the healthier your, your brain and heart communicate, the less taxing that heart rate variability or the less taxing that event is on you physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, there's, yeah, within, within the autonomic nervous system, there's something called the sympathetic uh, nervous system and the parasympathetic. So sympathetic is the tiger's chasing me. I got to run really fast. Heart rate goes up. Blink rate goes up. Um, uh, blood pressure goes up. Uh, blood's diverted away from the stomach. And it's fight, flight, or freeze is, is what it's called. Um, and, and that's a natural response that happens all day long. Somebody cuts you off in traffic or somebody brings you very good news you weren't expecting or very bad news you weren't expecting. Your body and your heart and your brain have, have that response. The opposite of sympathetic is parasympathetic, rest and digest. It slows, slows things down, widens your peripheral vision, allows you to see things more clearly. And uh, so sympathetic and parasympathetic in conjunction with heart rate variability are the key components to brain and heart health. And again, this allows you to not knee jerk, not fly off the handle, not make decisions in the heat of the moment. It allows you to stop and breathe, evaluate and assess the situation much more accurately and make the right decision. Yeah. You know, if, if you are not a leader and you're a salesperson, you're listening to this podcast right now, I want, I want you to back up and listen to this last little bit because Bob was talking about that sympathetic nerve system, uh, the fight, flight, or freeze. And what happens? Your, your, your um, heart rate goes up, blink rate goes up, blood pressure goes up. What mm -hmm. he also meant is uh, when he was talking about parasympathetic, your, your peripheral vision opens up. In the sympathetic, under that adrenal response, your tunnel vision closes in and right. the higher order reasoning parts of your brain are shut down. This is why when you get in an argument with a loved one and, or, or, or not so loved one, and you think of the smart, clever, wisecrack or whatever, come back to say after the event was over, it was actually occurring in your brain at the moment, but it was suppressed by that adrenal response. So yeah. think about that when you're in a sales situation with a customer, and they catch you off guard and you don't think of the thing to say until you're in your car driving out of the parking lot. So all of this system of nutrition, rest, uh, exercise, brain, heart, health is preparing you physically 
for those events to, so that you are more able to smoothly act within those events, not just if you're a leader, but when you're a human being. So That's right. You, you focus this into your leadership practice and leadership consulting and coaching, but this is important for everybody. It is. It is important for everybody. Uh, a good, you know, uh, teams, teams uh, first start with the individual and then those individuals get together to form the team. And uh, that individual has to, has to be present, uh, you know, for the effort. And, and by focusing on, on those six things, it allows you, it gives you the greatest presence in that moment. Yeah. And what was the sixth one after brain heart health? Yeah, so the sixth one is uh, lifelong learning. And although it doesn't sound like a physiological thing, it really is a physiological thing. Um, the more you introduce new material to your brain, to your logic system, to your reasoning, the more you strengthen your brain. It, your, your, again, your neuroplasticity uh, is also activated by introduction of new material, things that kind of make the brain work a little bit. Oh, so man. lifelong learning is critical uh, no matter who you are and what you do. And, and the, the, I would say the best leaders, the people that I've worked for that, that I remember as being remarkable leaders were always uh, either reading a book or, or attending a course or, or um, pushing some additional training for people. I, you know, and I'll give you an example of lifelong training. I, I coach uh, youth hockey and hopefully I'll coach a college team this year. And USA Hockey coaching training is mandatory uh, up through five levels. And by me attending that training, it's made me a better husband, a better father, a better leader with it, you know, with, with the, for the 40 people in my organization. So just getting out and exposing yourself to other learning events um, will enhance your life. Yeah, I have been struck with so much confirmation bias in those around me. And I always worry a little bit that I must be noticing it because I'm suffering from it, right? We, we, always, we always see that in others, which we suffer from ourselves. That's and right. I don't want to be that guy. And so I am on part of my lifelong journey uh, of learning is always watching for biases like that confirmation bias. Do I believe this because I thought I was going to or because I wanted to believe this? Is that like the opposite end of the spectrum of the lifelong learner with somebody who's committed to not learning at all? Yeah, well, and I've encountered people like that as well. You know, there, I, I, I've read where upwards of 80% 80, 80 of high school graduates never read another book. Now, that, that just seems crazy to me. But assuming that's true... You know, look at what we're dealing with uh, out there for people who have essentially, you know, capped their learning or limited their learning, at least in that way. And, and there's so many other ways. Uh, so, so I think there is some truth to that. However, the good news is for those of us who pursue lifelong learning, um, it's much easier to get ahead, much easier. If you're going to put that effort into learning, your brain is just going to work better and you really give yourself an advantage over those who, who, uh, much of the rest that. of the herd is so much slower than you. <laughs> I am so struck that you're, you, you're, you're taking a very internal inside first approach to leadership and, um, that lifelong learning is the first time you're actually talking about coaching and behaviors. The rest of it is self-management and self-control. Tell us, why it's a, a five to one ratio there. 
Well, um, again, this is based on my experience throughout my, my entire professional life to include, you know, the peaks and the valleys, to include the times where things weren't going so well. And I had to really look closely and say, all right, what's, what's happening here? Uh, so, so I think the, um, you know, the ratio, uh, the way you put it, um, there's, there's a, there's kind of a, there's a balance, but it's moving. There's this, um, there's times where you need, where I need to pay more attention to one aspect and maybe less attention to another. You mentioned something else that, that, uh, spurred a thought as well. Leadership, you know, it's, it's very personal. It's a personal brand. And, you know, I've, I've read the Maxwell books and the 21 irrefutable laws and the 15 invaluable laws. And, and, you know, there's so much material out there and it's all great material. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to develop your own brand, your own style. You have to develop a system that works for you. And, uh, and, and again, that's a conscious process. People have to think about that on a regular basis. And it evolves. It changes. Uh, yeah. When we were talking earlier, I talked about my personal definition of leadership. My personal definition is to use my training, education, and experience to enable others to achieve their objectives. Now, if, if those others are my employees, their objectives on the job are my objectives. Uh, but they also have their personal objectives. I want to help them get to where they're going in life. And, and um, you know, John Maxwell defines leadership with one word, influence. Uh, but again, I think it's a very personal thing that you can really use to advance others. Yeah. If you so you got a, an iFly franchise and you opened this business and uh, had to hire a team and had to get them all on board. And how long ago was this? That was uh, about seven years ago now. Okay. So what did you discover about <laughs> leadership? You know, having led teams of highly motivated military folks. Yeah. How um, you led a team of people who didn't come up with that common background. Uh, so what did you learn about leadership that has informed your coaching and your approach? What an intuitive question because, uh, boy, I learned a hard lesson. Um, the average 25-year-old in the military is probably on their second or third leadership assignment. They probably have six to 12 people that work for them. And they've been formally trained in leadership and they've experienced success and failure as well. The average 25-year-old in the private sector doesn't really have that leadership, that formal leadership training, nor the experience. So, so in my business, uh, you know, I, have, uh, I had some highly educated people, uh, but they were relatively young. And based on their education and, and their age and what I was used to, uh, I, I thought they were uh, much more capable of leadership at that time than they actually were. My fault for putting them in a position that they weren't ready for. Um, that's, uh, that's really key. Stop with, just for a second. Uh, your fault for putting, so it's the leader's fault. Really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If you were a manager, you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel that way. But you're a leader, so you do. Okay, now continue. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so that's one big lesson learned. The other lesson learned is that uh, many organizations, I would say small to mid-sized organizations, they, they don't teach 
all of their people, their, their customer-facing frontline employees, they don't teach them the structure of the organization or you know, the fancy $100 word is organizational architecture. But, but it's important that everybody knows what everybody else's role is and it allows, it allows you to better identify your role and know exactly how you fit in with everybody else. So, um, you know, there's three levels of warfare within the military. There's strategic, which is, um, you know, decisions made by the Pentagon and the White House. They don't tell you how to fight the war. They say, be prepared to fight a war. That's the strategic level. That's the C-suite in an organization. That's your executive leadership. Um, and then there's the operational level. This, these are your, your, uh, your generals and your, your campaign planners and your exercise planners. And people say, okay, we need to be able to handle a confrontation in this, in this theater of operations. What units do we have available? What would that look like? How would we do that? That's operational level. That's your vice presidents. That's your managers. That's that level within a, uh, a business. And then there's the tactical level, the soldiers, the, the people on the front line, um, the EOD tech who's going to cut the red wire, or cut the blue wire. Uh, and those are, in business, your customer-facing employees, your frontline troops. So I make sure, to, getting back to the lesson that I've learned, uh, in the military, everybody knows everybody's role all the way up to the strategic level. And I have discovered that uh, in, in my business, and in business in general, that's a very important thing for your newest employee to, to be trained on. They need to know everybody else's role, and, and that way they can better fulfill their role. Or they can recognize out of parameter. Bob, music to my ears. I harp over and over in interviews and in my book, Radical Value, that everybody in an organization needs to have a straight line of sight between their role and the value the customer that their customers perceive. How do you produce value? And you, you talked uh, about making sure that everybody knows how everybody else does and how they fit in. Also very true, but you can't know that until you understand the customer value. So I, I think those things go hand in hand. And even in your, how many employees do you have? 40. Okay, so 40 person organization. Uh, you've made sure everybody knows how the machine, all the parts of the machine fit together and what the goal is and what the customer value is. And how hard was that? Uh, so it takes time. There's no okay. question about it. You, uh, these are things that can't be rushed and that's where you have to be patient as a leader and you have to have, um, you have to keep people on board long enough for, for that to take hold. Yeah. So it's hard and takes time when it's a 40 person organization. How hard is it? Uh, how hard can you imagine it being when it's 400 or 4,000 or 40,000? Sure. Well, you know, going back to my military experience, um, you know, the, uh, some of the, uh, you get up to the, the higher level organizations and it becomes that many people, but, um, generally speaking for every of people who've had all that training on the way up. Yeah, so no, well they have, you know, yeah, everybody, um, ascends to that position. So they, they've served in all of those lower positions. Yeah. Um, so they have great awareness of, of, uh, you know, what it's like to be in those positions. Yeah. Very interesting. So, um, I am kind of, I talk to, to people like you uh, that, and I 
I don't want this to sound like I'm devaluing how to lead because it's critical. Um, my whole life's work, my value clarity, my um, radical value is where to lead, what to lead towards, understanding mm -hmm. customer value. And sure. I, I, I focus on that because that's, that's my thing and that's my, you know, my gig, that's my passion. Um, but I can't express to you how important I find the how to lead because you can't do the where without the how. And there's people yeah. who try to do the how without a good where, and that's just as dysfunctional. Yeah, completely agree. So, so the first year that I opened, um, we operated on core values. And I only have three, and it's the same three, and they'll never change. Loyalty, integrity, and professionalism. If everybody on my team uh, really took those words on board and, and found the meaning in them, we would work our way through that first year with no problem, and we did. Uh, from year two on, I developed what's called a strategic vision, and I, I re-author the vision every December and, and issue it first of the year. But the strategic vision is something for the entire organization to uh, wrap their head around, and it gets us all moving in the same direction. It's not a terribly complex document. Here's mission, vision, values. We have um, strategic goals, and we have uh, focus areas, and we have culture, and, and all that is, it provides, uh, it provides a, a, a direction. It provides a sense of direction for everybody in the organization. Very cool um, and, and critical. Bob, what else have I not covered that you want to make <laughs> sure that you get out? Uh, let, let me just tell you one other thing about leadership real quick. Uh, it is my experience that people want to be led. Um, they don't necessarily want to be managed or micromanaged. And there's a big difference between leadership and management. But, but people want to be led. There's no question about it. And a good leader recognizes that and, and uh, knows how to do that. I'm really glad you, you um, drew that distinction because even the people who are the lone wolf or who are, uh, have a problem with authority, they don't want to be managed. That's just not wanting to be managed taken to uh, can sometimes be dysfunctional level. But those people, even those people still want to be led. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, so don't mistake the two. And then um, I, I think you can wrap your head as a leader around these people want to do well. I, I just, I have to write this particular one a little bit differently. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And exhaust all options. Uh, the other thing I learned early on uh, uh, is um, in the military, you can't fire people. Uh, in the private sector, you can. And sometimes you just, you, you just have to. It's the yeah. route you have to take. Yeah, very good. Well, Bob, what a pleasure. What a great conversation. I really appreciate your making the time. And I appreciate the fact that we finally figured out how to make this work. You know, for, for those of us, we've we kind of been trading, uh, hey, we should do this sort of emails and uh, we never committed to it. So uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for pushing this and uh, thanks for helping make it happen. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Have a great day and I appreciate, uh, appreciate everything you're doing. Yep. And uh, thanks everybody for joining us on uh, the Value Clarity Podcast where we believe that value only exists in your customer's mind which means that your success is all in your customer's head. 
Same goes for leadership. Have a valuable day, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.